Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Other People's Podcast, a podcast that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Today's special guest is co-host of NPR's What's Good, Bobito Garcia. Bobito is a legendary New York City podcaster, radio host, journalist, film director, author, sneakerhead, and basketball enthusiast. Along with iconic DJ Stretch Armstrong, they co-host NPR's hit show, What's Good where they interview cultural influencers and the genres of art, music, sports, and popular culture. He and Stretch have interviewed folks like Stevie Wonder, Chance the Rapper, Erica Badu, Dave Chappelle, and many others. He stopped through my bedside apartment to chat about his early days in radio, his new autobiographical documentary, Rock Rubber 45, and of course, his hit NPR podcast, What's Good. So without further ado, let me introduce you to one of my favorite podcasters, Bobito Garcia. What's up, Bob? How are you, dog? Shelly, oh, don't knock over your coffee. Oh, man, look. Uh, <laughs> there's no coffee in here, right? I, I, look, man, this is all for show. Yeah. This is all for show now for you. <laughs> How you doing, bro? I'm good. I'm blessed. Dude, it's yeah. so nice being here with you today. This is uh, one of those moments in, uh, in, in life where you realize that New York is awesome or, or LA is awesome. When you pay expensive prices to be in an area... <laughs> Because the center of the universe, you're living in the center of the universe. Yeah. Well, you live right down the block from Soul in the Hole. I don't know if you know that. The, what was that? The playground right here. It's called Raymond Bush now. Oh, but, right, yeah. right, right. It's called Soul but, in the Hole? Well, that's, that's the, the film in the late 90s, Soul in the Hole, that featured Ed Booger Smith was shot right there. That's the, that's where the tournament used to be. Dude, there's so many things in... Uh, there, I was watching a, a Biggie Freestyle mm-hmm. where he was, he was like 17 years old. I saw on the back of the address was... One zero zero one. So I was like, "Oh, where is that? That has to be somewhere close by." It was right there on Bedford, mm-hmm. right there at uh, where the Bar Dinoco or Playground Coffee. Mm-hmm. And you walk by these things every single day, and you yeah. don't know you're walking past history. Oh, they got the mural over the, over on uh, what is it? That's on Bedford in uh, is it not Green? Uh, forget anyway. The like gate, something yeah, like that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just constantly walking through history. But it's so mm-hmm. nice. I'm the first time I'm from Virginia, and the first time I discovered you uh, was through your uh, Netflix series of uh, the Stretch and Bobito. It wasn't a series; it was oh, a doc- the, the documentary. documentary that that they aired. Yeah, and I was very grateful for that because uh, Netflix is a tremendous platform. You know, uh, I had my first film on uh, there back in 2013. It was titled "Doing It in the Park: Pick Up Basketball NYC." And uh, they picked up my second film, Stretching Bobito, Radio That Changed Lives. And at that point, I mean, they had increased their audience to 193 countries, I think 100 million uh, subscribers plus. So, you know, that that alone put me and Stretch on the map in places we had never been, like India, um, where we finally got to go to together. Uh, we had a, a, our first gig in Mumbai, uh, sponsored by Levi's. And there were cats coming up to us that had seen the film, but basically had no idea who we were prior to that. 
So I'm grateful for, for Netflix. Well, yeah, I think one thing is uh, technology has played a major role in how we communicate these days, obviously. Sure. So me growing up in Virginia as a kid, things that were happening in New York City, I wouldn't know unless I was really living in New York City, unless I was experiencing it. Kind that of said, I mean, you know, we had a lot of listeners in, in Virginia um, because it was part of the, the, the drug tra- traffic trade. Oh, yes. So a lot sense. of uh, dealers would go down there and drop off tapes. And, you know, there was a whole, like, uh, bootleg uh, tape distribution of our show. Um that and you know, and Virginia was one of the city, states uh, that we made a stamp at. You know, we had some diehard listeners down there. Um, you know, that was over my head how the tapes got there, but you know. <laughs> well, one thing is that uh, you know, you you are a, a Renaissance man, mm-hmm. and I interviewed DJ Clark Kent recently. Cool. And uh, you and him kind of had the same. When I think of New York City, you guys are the quintessential New Yorkers. You guys are the fabric and the Thank heartbeat you. of the city Thank you. and what it is to be a New Yorker. So for a lot of folks, you said, got to start off in radio mm-hmm. um, uh, and you were a pioneer in hip hop radio here in New I'm York I'm not city. a pioneer. People say that, but there's a whole generation, a whole decade of pioneers who preceded me and Stretch. Me and Stretch came in the 90s. We didn't invent the, the platform or... or uh, the blueprint, we definitely rearranged it and 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 changed its course. Um, but when when one speaks of pioneer, I think of like Africa Islam, Azula Beats. I think of uh, Mr. Magic. Um, I think of uh, Special K and Teddy Ted, Red Alert, Marley Marl. Those are the dudes, you know, who were really on the on the forefront of bringing hip hop to the radio. What me and Shuts did in the '90s though was a was a, an incredible era. Um, but you know, always correct younger people when they're like, "Yo, pioneers!" Like, nah, respect to the real pioneers. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And uh, when you left radio, uh, how did you get into film? Like, how did the transition into film? I mean, it's an eight-year gap from me li- leaving WKCR eighty-nine point nine FM in two thousand and two to two thousand and ten when I I start directing my first film, which is doing in the park, pick up basketball NYC. Uh, and I think. If you watch my current documentary, it's autobiographical, it's titled Rock Rubber 45s, you get to see this the entirety of my uh, childhood, my educational quandaries, my setbacks, um, you know, my experience living in New York, uh, culturally in various communities from sneakers to basketball to music to hip hop, and then all of this sort of like sort of like forming my career and then my career jumps I'm a DJ I'm a writer I'm an author I'm a you know TV personality uh, ambassador uh, author documentarian you know journalist uh, uh, pro ball player you know you get all these things and all of those sort of create this sort of foundation for me to become a filmmaker so Rock Rebel 45 is the culmination of me uh, DJing and understanding how to create a five-hour set and using that sensibility, music supervising Rock Rubber 45s and providing uh, accentuation, but also blends and mixes that a normal filmmaker wouldn't do because they're not DJs. Um, and only DJs and other producers would hear or figure, oh, they just did a reverb slap. Oh, those two beats just matched up tempo wise mm. and and on key 
you know, it's like a lot of s- subtle stuff that most people wouldn't catch. Uh, and, you know, uh, so my experiences as a, as a ball player, my experiences as a sneakerhead, like, you know, all these things, my experiences uh, writing a book, where'd you get those New York City sneaker culture in 1960, 1987, my experiences as a journalist writing for Vibe and, and Slam Magazine, you know, and and I was a, a editor-in-chief of my own publication, Bounce, from the playground. Uh, and so all these all these skills were infused into the making of Rock Rubble 45s. So, um, you know, it's something that I landed on uh, purposely. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't think I was DJing and, and, and writing and doing all these things to one day become a filmmaker. But when I just made the decision to start making films, and I've made three in the last eight years, all those elements helped, you know, in the, in the edit room and in the production and, you know, uh, connections or currency at, 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 you know, I know Pee Wee Kirkland. I know Lynn manuel Miranda. I know Patti LaBelle. You know, I know Questlove. I know Crazy Legs. You know, all these people like sincere, you know, contacts. You know, yo, will you be in my film? And so I got a, a phenomenal cast for Rock Rebel 45. It's kind of like mind-blowing. Uh, Chris Paul, you know, Scottie Pippen. You know, people you wouldn't expect to see in the same film, you know? Um, so I'm very, Stevie Wonder, you know, uh, so, you know, I'm very proud of Rock Rubble 45s. It is the culmination of, of my entire career. Um, it's autobiographical um, and it, it was a tough film to make. You know, there's some low points and I'm completely transparent and uh, about sensitive and delicate uh, issues in my past. And um, just, I'm, I'm thrilled by the reaction and the response that it's been getting, you know, whether it's been online, it's available on Vimeo and iTunes and Hulu and Amazon and Google Play, or in the theaters and and uh, and special events that I've been screening it at. And um, yeah, I've gone hard this summer. I did like maybe fourteen weekends in a row. Some, you know, two three cities in the same you know Friday to Sunday uh, uh, patch. Um, but it's all been worth it, you know, to see that people uh, be impacted. The, the way they have, you know. Uh, what inspired the uh, what inspired the title? Ah, you finally came back to that. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. Um, so I wanted something that was a little coded. You know, early on it was it was just before I really put thought to it. It was like uh, uh, you know, like uh, I don't know if you saw the Tribe Called Quest films, like Beats Rhymes Life. Yep, yep. You know, and I thought that that was really great. Uh, but I thought that. It didn't take much imagination to figure out what the film was about. Um, not a knock against Michael Rappaport the Tribe. I'm just, you know, just. So I thought, like, oh, I want something to rep- be representative of the three narratives that are going to be in this film, which is, you know, basketball, sneakers, and music. So early on, it was like ball beats and kick, or ball kicks, beats, ball beats, kicks, and I was trying to play off of that. I just thought it was just too like. I like coded things. I mean, that's why I love Rakim and I love Nas and I love Organized Confusion and Farrell Monch because you can listen to their songs 20 years later and figure out a metaphor that you never even realized was there, mm. you know? Um, so, uh, you know, Rock Rubble 45 was like probably like the 50th or 60th title I come up with. And, uh, you know, and, and once I said it out loud, it fit and I was like, that's what we're going to run with. And what do you want folks to... Uh when they, they see the film, to, to walk away with knowing about, about you? 
Well, um, you know, as I said, I, I was an open book in the film. And I think uh, most importantly, I wanted to create a blueprint for freelance creatives um, and for people to see how difficult it is to work for oneself, uh, but also how joyful it can be uh, working for yourself. Um, and also, I wanted people to, particularly uh, people of color, to not feel limited. You know, I've often been asked, like, well, if you had to pick between basketball and, and music, which one would you do? And like, well, actually, I've been able to do both and well on a global level. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, and, and you know, and in particular in the, in the delicate issues uh, of the film, you know, a lot of reviewers really misunderstood the film. They were like, oh, you know, who is he to, to do an autobiographical documentary? Uh, I mean, there are none for people of color that I know of. Well, what's the difference in writing an, an autobiography book? Exactly. If I were to write an auto autobiography like Rosie Perez did and Raquel Cepeda did and Angie Martinez did and, you know, my peers, you know, or, or it's, any, or it's, any, it's, it's applauded. Anyone, Bill anyone. Russell. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, it would be looked at as like, oh, great. He wrote a book. You know, I thought to write an autobiographical uh, uh, book, um, but after doing two films and realizing the impact that people can have, that, that people could receive when they're in a shared space, most people read books in their privacy, mm. you know? Um, you laugh out loud on the train, but people on the train don't know what you're laughing at. When people watch a film, you know, when I did Central Park Summer Stage, I had 2,000 people laughing at the same time. It's a, it's a beautiful communal experience. And, you know, as we resonate our spirits with each other, you know, like the film is not really autobiographical because there's too many people that see themselves on, on, on screen. And that's what I'm getting time and time again. I'm getting people crying on my shoulder. I'm getting people emailing me the next day, uh, you know, sometimes weeks later because it takes them time to process what they experienced watching the film. They see themselves. And that was another thing that I wanted to, to try to put out in the world. I mean, it's, you know, in, in the hip hop world, uh, in the hip hop space, you know, it's there are, are social cues that aren't, that are some, some are toxic, you know, or some are very, uh, just, you know, not really inviting for someone to, to share experiences that may be viewed as less masculine or, or less, uh, um, less manly, mm -hmm. you know, um, I was abused as a kid. And it's not something I'm proud of. Uh, it's not something that uh, I controlled. Um, but I've felt that the more I've shared it with people and with others, the more it's been empowering for others to heal as well as myself. And so, you know, coming up with the idea of the film to really just be transparent and not just do a greatest hits. Oh yeah, I had Stevie Wonder at the party with Spinner and, oh yeah, I interviewed uh, Michael Jordan for Vibe Magazine. Oh yeah, me and Stretch had this great radio show in the 90s and oh yeah, I did this. And, you know, that would be like like EPK, you know, like that's something for YouTube, you know, to help you, help you get gigs. I did a film that like is a real American, real New York, real global story. Do you, do you think that there was, um, that because it was the, uh, 
the kind of the first uh, uh, autobiographical documentary. I think anytime you're the first, it opens up the opportunity for people to critique. That's the well, there's nothing and, to yeah, really yeah, I, you to know, gauge it off of. And I, I want to say, I mean, you know, there was a the, the kid stays in the picture. I think is one of better known uh, autobiographical docs. There, there have been others, but I don't know any in the hip hop hip hop space. Yes, in the hip hop space for sure. There's been biographies by other directors about someone, but for someone to say, "Hey, I am going to own my own narrative." And I'm going to share it. And because I have two films in my pocket, I have the experience to do this. I don't know anybody who's done that, you well, know. And for people of color, like in terms of my research, I don't know anybody. So I was, I was, I was going into uncharted territory as I've done in, in basically every chamber of my career. So for me, it was good. It was a challenge. It was a little bit of like, I don't know how this is going to be received. You know, I knew my audience was going to love it. I didn't know what the Tribeca's and the, you know, the New York Times Film Review and Village Voice and all them, I didn't know how they were going to receive it. It became a critic's pick for New York Times. They got it, you know. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen as I push this film and, and, and try to get it to the most amount of audiences, how it continues to be uh, shared. Do you think it also, uh, being in the era that we're living in now where, creators can control their own narrative. Like back in the day, if I were to go to um, uh, promote my album, I'm going to go see Stretch and Bobbito. I'm going to go yeah. hop on the show. Yeah. And that was my way of getting my, um, pu publicizing what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Do you think that what we're, the, with the times that we're living in content wise, yeah. you're seeing that like when Kanye does an interview, he brings Charlemagne on the Kanye West YouTube page to do the interview. Or Eminem just recently had an interview with Sway, where he brought Sway to do the interview on the Eminem platform. Do you think that's kind of the future of where film could be going as far as people kind of creating their own narrative um, through film about themselves? I would love to see that. I don't know if that is. Um, but, uh, you know, I think um, we have been taught a lesson in hip hop in the 90s where you know there were a lot of artists who were you know tired of A&Rs at major labels telling them what to do and limiting them their concepts and you know such and I for our NPR podcast we just interviewed uh Maimuna Youssef who's a phenomenal singer and she was you know as a singer she was telling us like yeah you know as a person of color you know, the, the labels were telling me I can only talk about, you know, dating or, you know, love or, you know, she was like, that's why she chose the independent route. So, you know, we're seeing that constantly in multiple industry, in, industries, you know, film, uh, publishing, uh, music, and, you know, distribution models have changed. So it is uh, paramount for us to control our narrative and to try to uh, get it out to the most amount of people. Um, and there are ways to do that in this era, in this digital era. Um, that all said, though, you know, ultimately, you know, you can reach a niche audience, but to to get to like, you know, the the, the larger audience, you need some platform to 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 broadcast to it. broadcast it. You know, so so I'm gonna take a quick break, and next we're gonna get into what's good. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, we're back. All right, so um, Bob, you are currently the co-host of What's Good. Which is an NPR podcast. Yep, it's what's uh, good with Shachan Bobito. There this we is go. The second season, uh, we started in 2017, and uh, you know we just ripping and running this season with uh, interviews with Rakim and Bethann Hardison and Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez and uh, and and uh, Erica Badu and Lenny Kravitz, and you know we just interviewed uh, my Muna, uh, Youssef, and. We got some others in the can, you know, that we're we're about to drop. What's the difference? What's the biggest difference in um, uh, the radio show versus the podcast? Is there any difference? Well, our '90s radio show was a mix show where Stretch and I played music, uh, blended the songs to each other. To each other, um, our podcast is interview based. Uh, we do play two songs for our artists to get re- reactions from them, um, and we do play music to help the narrative. Like if Rakim mentions his first album, we play a song off of it, but it's not like we're DJing, you know, we're, we're trying to get our interviewees to feel comfortable and share narratives that are compelling, uh, unique, interesting, and hopefully, you know, our pitch on the platform is that you get the untold stories. And I think we've been achieving that time and time again. Because Stretch and I are far from your stereotypical NPR journalists, you know, far cry. Um, in fact, it took them about a year and a half from the moment when they said, oh, it'd be great to have you on our platform to the, the show actually happening. We had to go through a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of uh, non-believers in, internally. Um, and then we had evangelists and advocates internally as well. So eventually the, uh, the show... Um, hit the light of day and got amazing feedback, uh, very diverse uh, audience, uh, which NPR was seeking, you know, and that's one of the reasons why they brought us on board because they knew that we would bring people of color, we would bring hip hop uh, heads, uh, we would bring some younger people. Because um, I also see this, I see what's good as being um, uh, the way the Cosby show came onto NBC. Mm-hmm. And the way that NBC was structured at that time, there was no black family or shows that like depicted African-Americans in a very positive light. Mm-hmm. I feel you guys kind of doing the same thing with with NPR, kind of bringing a, a, a diverse cultural perspective to a network that traditionally, I would say they never really targeted mostly to African-Americans or people of color. I mean, they have. They did have the, uh, the Ali Shaheed Muhammad show uh, and they have Code Switch um, and they have a bunch of other uh, podcasts on the platform. Um, I think, uh, you know, them bringing us on board because we have a built-in following, you know, and because we're not just hip hop, you know, we had some offers to do podcasts in the past, but 
you know, mostly like, they were like, okay, do 90s hip hop. I was like, oh, we already did that. We did that pretty well, you know? Um, so I think the the beauty of what NPR provided was that, you know, we could have a Linda Saucer, you know, one of the, uh, the um, uh, founders of the Women's March, you know, who was an advocate for uh, Arab uh, Muslim rights in the United, in the United States and, and, and beyond. You know, we could have Edgardo Mirano Rodriguez, uh, a graphic novelist, but, you know, someone who's also an activist and, you know, frontline uh, uh, to stop the bombing in Vieques, Puerto Rico, and frontline uh, to, you know, to, to provide support for uh, PR post-Hurricane um, Maria. You know, um, we could have Rosie Perez along with Hayes, her husband, who's a legend in, in his own right, you know, as a, as a graphic artist, as an art director and a, and a graffiti writer. You know, and Rosie Perez, you know, legendary actress and actor and, and producer. And, um, you know, and so we've had a great mix of people, you know, great mix of people. Uh, we had Dave Chappelle and Stevie Wonder on our show. It's like, you know. <laughs> ain't bad. Yeah, 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 yeah you know. So, uh, very proud of that. To, mm-hmm. to, to wrap up the interview, uh, I asked two questions at, mm-hmm. at the end of every uh, show of OPP. Yeah. Uh what are three podcasts that you listen to that we should be listening to? I can't tell you one. Um, and uh, it's a point of contention with NPR when they first brought us on board. They were like, oh, you got to listen to podcasts. And I, you know, I told them, I said, look, podcasts is just a different rapping, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you could, uh, you could take uh, a corn, corn muffin, you can put it in saran wrap. You can put it in a container. You can put it in a Tupperware, or you can put it in a uh, aluminum foil. You know, but it's still a corn muffin inside. And to me, you know, the style that me and Stretch present, and our thought processes, and our experiences, and our education, and you know, and and those of our guests. That's a that's a beautiful, hearty, like wholesome meal. How you wrap that is up to you, right? So I didn't really feel the need to to listen to other podcasts because I've been doing, I've been interviewing people since 1989. Yeah, I started writing for the Source back in '89, and you know I started with the radio show in 1990, and I started writing for Vibe magazine in 1994. You know. I had already interviewed Michael Jordan, Shaka Khan, Gil Scott Heron, Isaac Hayes, uh, Dan Marino. I, I was a halftime reporter for the New York Knicks back in 2006 to 2007. So I got like 30 years of- oh, Journalism experience. Yeah. So, you know, and not to, yeah, I'm a full-time parent. That's my priority. You know, like I got to take care of my wife. I got to take care of my son. You know, I got to take care of me. Third, you know, um, so I haven't read a book in I don't know how long. Just haven't had time. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a DJ at the same time. I'm, I'm an NPR journalist at the same time. I produce a full court 21 one on five basketball tournament in 20 plus cities in four continents. You know, I do a lot in one day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's not to say that that you know there aren't phenomenal podcasts out there that that does, that warrant right. to be heard. I just haven't. It's 24 hours in a day. I haven't. Yeah, I yeah. haven't had. I mean, I'll get to that point, and they're not going anywhere. They're going to be online. I'll, I'll listen to them. Why do you podcast? Um, yeah, I think ideally in my fifties, 
when NPR approached me and Stretch, I, I didn't really know what a podcast was. It was like a funny name for me. You know, um, I was hoping that they were going to put us on FM radio. They have 900 member stations. So I, my thought was like, oh, word, like we could be back on the radio, you know, doing interviews with interesting guests and stuff. Um, and getting people to laugh and cry and, 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 and provoke thought, uh, which is what we've been doing. Um, the beauty of the podcast is, you know, in contrast to me and Stretch's radio show in the 1990s, where we were on Thursday nights, 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And if you didn't stay up, or if your boy didn't tape it, you, you it. just you just missed it. Whereas with the podcast space, it's kind of cool. You can it's audio on demand. You listen to it when you want. You can download it. You can stream it. You know, uh, and so you know, I, I feel like our audience is maximized um, in terms of re- outreach, uh, and I, I feel like at this point because. We haven't like broken top five podcasts on iTunes and stuff like that. We, I think we hit top twenty last year at one point, but um, but you know because it's not like the number one podcast, it's still like people's secret. You know, like they listen to it, they talk about it on social media, and they share it. But it's like it's not like I'm getting stopped on the street every day. I mean, it happens, but you know where it's like, yo, I love I your podcast. You. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I get yeah. that, you know, but I'm just saying it's not like. So I think the the joy of the oh you missed it in the '90s was a beautiful marketing strategy because it, it really it 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 elevated our status, you know, to have this sort of like um, cult following. You know, we, we're not going to get a cult following for what's good with Stretch and Bobito because it's it's on the biggest news platform in the United States. Um, they get like. I don't know, like 200 million uh, streams like and downloads. P- between, you know, our, our show doesn't, but I'm just saying like, like NPR, news.org, 900 member radio stations, you know, communitively have like uh, an immense amount of of listeners or a, re- a reach. Yeah. So um, and maybe at some point we get to that. But uh, in the meantime, I, I really love what we're doing and we'll, we're, we just keep on getting better. This season is better than last season. Bobby Doe, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you, dog. I really do. All right. Thank you so much. All right, peace. Thank you to our special guest, Bobito Garcia. Be sure to hit the link in the description to peep his show, What's Good? And don't forget to check out his latest film, Rock Rubber 45. This episode has been mixed by Mark Berg. Music for this podcast has been provided by Richie Quake. And also, be sure to check out my other podcast, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I have the link to that in the description as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.